0: Welcome to Thief's Monthly Movie Loot, episode 22. I really hope that you're all doing good, holding up in the middle of this crazy world. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the movie loot I gathered for the second half of September. Six feature films and one short film, from Mexico to France, from docudramas to melodramas, from sci-fi to lo-fi. So let's go.
1: A film from Mexico. Uh,
0: On September 16, Mexico celebrates the Cry of Dolores, El Grito de Dolores, which triggered the Mexican War of Independence, so I wanted to see something from Mexico. I ended up settling for 719 from 2016, a drama that is set during the 1985 earthquake in Mexico City. The earthquake left thousands of casualties and exposed severe flaws in the country's infrastructure and building codes. The film is set along those lines as it follows a group of employees and workers at an office building that end up trapped when it collapsed during the earthquake. The title comes from the time that the earthquake took place, and the film actually opens up at 7 a.m. with a quite impressive continuous shot that lasts about those 19 minutes, with the camera following the different characters as they arrive at the office building. After that, the film focuses on two people, Fernando, played by Demian Vichir, a wealthy businessman who is the owner of the building, and Martín, played by Héctor Bonilla, the lower-class custodian that works at the lobby. Although they are seen to be cordial and friendly in the opening, their various exchanges while being trapped close to each other expose trends of classism and inequality as well as reproach and regrets from both characters. There is something to be said about the film's economy with an hour and a half of it taking place in the same enclosed space, kinda like Buried, and from that visual aspect it works. The film's biggest problem is in the script and the dialogue, most of which feels forced, clunky, and lacking subtlety. Despite taking place during the course of a few days, some of the things that happen feel abridged, and the tone of the performances and dialogue seems a bit off, like not as serious or dramatic as it should be. Still, Bichir and Bonilla are pretty competent, despite those limitations, which, in addition to the visual treats, might make it worth a watch for some. 719 was said to be one of Mexico's contenders for the best foreign language Oscar, but was not selected. It is still available to watch on Netflix.
1: A film primarily set in the workplace.
0: Look, I got a gun out there in my purse. And up to now I've been forgiven and forgetting because of the way I was brought up, but I tell you one thing, if you ever say another word about me or make another indecent proposal, I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. I can't take much more of
1: this. Something, somewhere, sometime is going to snap, and got God help Mr. Hart, because I won't be responsible for my actions.
0: Oh, Hello? This category comes obviously because of Labor Day, which was September seven, and for it I went with 1980s 9 to 5. This is a film I vaguely remember seeing when I was a kid, even if I didn't remember much of it. However, several people have mentioned it or recommended it to me recently, so I thought it would be nice to revisit it for this occasion. The film follows a trio of women, played by Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton, who get tired of the treatment from their chauvinistic and sexist boss, played by Danny Coleman, and end up taking him hostage while also taking control of the company. There's something to be said when a comedy about sexual harassment and gender inequality at the workplace still feels relevant 40 years later. The first half manages to introduce the struggles of each character at the workplace in a way that feels real while also being funny. Be it the new hire that's trying to find her way at work while being pushed aside, or the hard worker that's overlooked and undervalued, or the one that keeps being sexualized and judged by her looks. All three of the lead actresses know how to handle their respective characters, with perhaps Tomlin being the best of the three. Coleman, who I just saw in a dual performance in Cloak and Dagger a couple of weeks ago, is wickedly good here as well. There is a sequence where each of the ladies fantasize of what they would do to their boss, which I found to be very creative and unique, but once the second half has them actually putting their plan in action, the film feels a bit lost and off, it loses some of its bite as it trades its clever social commentary for more absurd slapstick. Nevertheless, the film was a huge success, launching Dolly Parton into mainstream fame and spawning a TV series, and the film is now available to watch on Stars. As for me, despite the issues I had with the second half, I still had a lot of fun watching it.
1: A science fiction film.
0: Don't be morbid, Professor. I'm not afraid of death. I'm an old physicist. I'm afraid of time. For this category, I decided to cover a massive blind spot in my catalog, one the size of a black hole, and it was 2014's Interstellar. Set in a dystopian future where Earth has become sterile, the film follows Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey, a former pilot turned farmer who is trying to make ends meet while living with his two teenage children and his father-in-law. When his daughter starts to experience a presence and other strange incidents in her room, it somehow leads Cooper to discover a, a secret NASA facility led by Professor Brand, played by Michael Caine, who recruits Cooper to travel to space in order to find a viable, habitable planet for him. This is a film I missed in theaters and then kind of avoided because I felt that the film was more suited for theaters and that the visual experience would feel minimized in a TV instead of a big screen. But upon seeing it now, I can see that the film's major issues are not the visuals, which still look impressive on DVD, but with the script and dialogue. It is often that I read people complaining about Christopher Nolan's expository issues which had never bothered me, but here, Jesus, there were too many times where Nolan should have trusted the audience to read the screen and the visuals instead of having it all read or said to us. In addition, a lot of the dialogue is so clumsily written and delivered. Most of the actors do what they can, with maybe McConaughey being the one that has the best performance, but others like Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain are bogged down by their lines. Finally, I don't know what to say about the last act, but most of what comes to mind is... not good. The visuals, like I said, are still impressive, but I wish Nolan had ran this through a better screenwriter to polish the dialogue, and maybe even a better editor to restrain him a bit or cut some of the excesses. Despite all of this, the film has become a massive hit and is considered by many to be Nolan's best, for me, I'll say that it is not a complete failure, but it's very, very flawed and probably my least favorite Nolan film so far. Although I still haven't seen Dunkirk or Tenet.
1: A film featuring Native American characters.
0: I think Iktomi's playing with me. Most people think of Ectomi as coming in the form of a spider. He could just as easily be a rock. And maybe he entered your brains when your head hit that rock. Some offerings of Wapakta would be a good start. And make some tobacco ties. Things don't get better, I'll hold a healing ceremony for you. Remember, human beings don't control anything. Spirits do. Native American Day was September 25, so I was looking for a film featuring Native American characters. I read about 2002 Skins and ran with it. The film follows two Native American brothers, Rudy and Mogi, played by Eric Schweig and Graham Greene, both of which live in a reservation in South Dakota. Rudy works as a police officer, while Moggy is an alcoholic that spends his time drinking in front of a nearby liquor store. As they both try to work out their relationship, they must also deal with their own personal frustrations and regrets. The film manages to convey some of the hardships that Native Americans have to deal with in terms of discrimination and economic inequality. However, it tries to juggle too many subplots, like Rudy moonlighting as a vigilante, his relationship with a married woman which seems to burden him, his strained relationship with Mogi, as well as Mogi's own alcohol issues, and his hardships as the father of a teenage son. Despite this flaws, it does work as some sort of a snapshot of Native American life and struggles in the U.S. I just wish it would have been more focused in its narrative and clear in its goals and purposes. If you're interested, Skins is available for streaming on Amazon Prime.
1: A film with a question in its title.
0: a time we
1: danced once upon time we
0: took a chance And fell In love Ask a Stupid Question Day was on September 28th And my choice for this category made me ask a stupid question myself Is there any doubt that David Lynch is cuckoo crazy? Well, if there isn't, this 17-minute short film, What Did Jack Do?, just adds to the evidence, along with the rest of his filmography, I guess. The film features Lynch himself playing the detective that's questioning Jack, a Capuchin monkey, that's suspected of murder. Think that doesn't sound crazy enough? Jack the monkey talks with an awkwardly funny, distorted voice, and the short even features a musical cola sung by the monkey himself. There's not much else to say here, but if you're familiar with Lynch, then you know the kind of shenanigans to expect. The short is weirdly funny in how it plays with common interrogation tropes, as the detective and Jack exchange typical interrogation one-liners. But it's also funny because of the apparent silliness of the story of this monkey that was in love with a chicken called Tututabon. I've also read multiple readings on it as to what Jack symbolizes, but even if you were to rely only on the absurdity of it all, I would still recommend it. The short film is available to see on Netflix. See it and enjoy.
1: A film with the word fall or autumn in its title. I followed all the rules. Mans and Gods. And you You followed none of them And they all loved you more Samuel Father Am I in my own way?
0: began on September 22, so I decided to see Legends of the Fall. I remember watching this in the 90s a couple of times and really loving it. It was probably 15, maybe 20 years since I last saw it though, so when my wife reminded me of it, I thought it would be good to go back to it and see how it holds up. The film is set in the early 20th century and follows the life and struggles of the Ludlow family, led by the strict but fair patriarch Colonel William Ludlow, played by Anthony Hopkins, who is left to raise his three sons alone, played by Aidan Quinn, Brad Pitt, and Henry Thomas. When the younger one, played by Thomas, returns from college with his fiancée, played by Julie Ormond, a series of events unleashed which changed the course of the family forever. Despite some excess melodrama, the truth is that the film holds up pretty well, helped by solid performances from the cast and a script that manages to throw a good amount of tragedy to the story to balance it. Hopkins and Pitt have their showier roles, but Thomas and Quinn are pretty good as the other brothers, and their relationship feels real. The rest of the sporting cast is also pretty good, I think Ormond's character could have been handled better, she is more of a catalyst or a plot device to a lot of the things that happen in the film, but her motivations are never fleshed out or fully explored. I also think the ending warranted a bit more of space for things to breathe and feel more authentic. Regardless, the film is well done, well acted, well shot, and worth a wash. Legends of the Fall was nominated for a couple of Academy Awards and Golden Globes, winning Best Cinematography at the Oscars. It is available to see on Amazon Prime, so check it out.
1: A film from Robert Bresson. A partir de demain, on fouillera les cellules. Et quiconque sera trouvé en possession d'un crayon sera immédiatement collé au mur et fusillé.
0: Tout le monde a compris le Crayon Pas le crayon. Quelle bêtise. Et seulement pour ne pas céder. Robert Bresson was born in France in September 25, which is why I wanted to see one of his films. Despite having a career spanning 50 years, he directed only about a dozen films, of which I had seen none. Most people recommended me to start with 1956, A Man Escaped, which is what I did. Set in France during World War II, the film follows Fontaine, played by Francois Leterrier, a resistance fighter that is determined to escape from the German prison he's sent to. A prison that we learn from an opening title card was a place where 7,000 prisoners died at the hands of Nazi Germany. I think the most notable thing about the film is its simplicity, from the sparse dialogue and the minimalist score to how Bresson keeps most of the enemies faceless and how he focuses instead on the logistics of the escape and its preparation instead of focusing on Fontaine, the character, or any other character for that matter. As it is, we hardly know anything about him other than his determination, resourcefulness, and persistence. This makes for a lean and tight film with no filler, but it also minimizes the emotional impact the film might have. That was clearly not Bresson's goal, though, but rather to make a tense and thrilling ride, and in that aspect, he succeeds. Leterrier's performance is, like the film, simple but effective, and so are the performances of the fellow prisoners that surround him. Meanwhile, Bresson's direction is interesting in how he avoids flashiness and gimmicks, but emphasizes close-ups, the use of hands, and overall body language to achieve his goals. There is a meticulous approach to his shots that kind of mirrors Fontaine's meticulous approach to his plan, and the result is successful. A Man Escaped is heralded by many as a masterpiece, and it won Bresson, the Best Director Award, in Cannes. It is available to see now on the Criterion channel, along with a couple of other Bresson films. So that's it for September. This wasn't a particularly strong month, but at least there wasn't anything truly awful among my watches. The best first time watch was Easily Hamilton, which was spectacular. But if we were not to count that one, I'd say that A Man Escaped and Disney's Pinocchio were probably the best. As for my least favorite first time watch, with the risk of earning the vitriol of hardcore Christopher Nolan fans, I'd say it would be a tough call between 719 and Interstellar. But anyway, as we start the month of October, here are the new categories for the month of terror a film with the number 10 in its title any film that starts with the letters S or T, a film from the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list, whose ranking includes the number 10, a film from the 1990s, a horror film, a horror film in a foreign language, a horror film about an animal or creature, a post-1990 horror film made for under $5 million, a film with the word dead or death in its title, a film that features baseball prominently, a film with a notable character, the clergy, a film from Nigeria, a film with a farm animal in its title, a film about a virus, and a film from Sam Raimi. As usual, if any of you have any recommendation you'd like to share for any of those, look me up on Twitter and let me know. I'm at TIFCGT, T-H-I-E-F-C-G-T, or on Letterboxd as tif 12 Also, if you're listening, let me know what you think of the podcast, how am I doing, or what you think of any of the films I've discussed. And now, in order to warm up for Halloween, it's time for...
1: Useless Movie Trivia
0: If you've seen any film in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, then you're familiar with the wickedly evil and iconic performance from Robert Englund as Freddy Krueger. But did you know that Englund wasn't Wes Craven's first choice for the role? Allegedly, Craven had plans to use a stuntman to play the immortal creature, but opted to go with an established actor instead. His first choice was British character actor David Warner, but when Warner passed, the role went to England, and the rest is history. So that was all for
1: Useless Movie Trivia.
0: So that's all for episode 22 of Tiff's Monthly Movie Loot. Thanks for listening, and I hope you all have an excellent week. Stay safe. It's not your fault, okay? I'm the idiot.
1: I don't want to go.
0: I know you don't. I know, but you have to, and you're going to be okay, all right?
1: Please don't make me go. I'm
0: sorry, but I don't
1: know what else to do. I won't play the kangaroo song anymore. Come on. Just go. You got to go. You got to go. Come on. No, pal, that's not it. But I want my own ass! I want
0: my own ass! I know!